Bonjour, bonjour. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of Research Time. I am going to have a wonderful conversation today with a good colleague of mine. I'm really excited for you to join us today. Oh, Tan Shi, how are you doing? Come on in. Hello, I'm good. How are you, Madeline? I'm very good, thank you. What have you been up to today? Nothing much, just preparing for our podcast today. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> how was That's your day? Wonderful. It's been good. Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm still with uh, Parks Canada, so I've just been uh, working on uh, reconciliation within training documents and such and really supporting, you know, their, their work towards that. So it's been really good. So thank you for asking. I appreciate it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm really appreciative for you to join me today, but just as much as I'm appreciative for you to join me, I'm also appreciative for the land. So, uh, <laughs> good segue, hey? Uh, <laughs> so, as we get started today, um, Kumanan and I are both on different uh, places, territories, uh, so we're going to both acknowledge the land differently in different capacities. So uh, for me, I am currently located on the traditional territory of Mohkinsis, that's Treaty 7 territory, which belongs to the Blackfoot Confederacy of Siksaga, Gaianai, Bagani, Satina, and Iahe Nakoda, which is a Stony Nakoda nation, as well as it is home to Métis Nation Region 3. Um, so with this, it is the place for us to come together to uh, help folks to steward the land and also to have conversations such as this uh, to hopefully support community community members around us so uh, thank you yeah and I'm here in Toronto so the land I'm standing on today is the traditional territory of many nations including the Mississaugas of the Credit the Anishinaabek the Chippewa the Haudenosaunee and the Wendat peoples and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis people. I also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaties, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. Wonderful, thank you. It's always something that I comment on, but I always love and appreciate hearing where everyone's from and where everyone's currently located. I think it's one of those really meaningful aspects, I think, to really recognize the places that we are in order for us to really come together and connect with one another too. So it's really, it's just very meaningful. So wonderful, or and you are joining me today. Um, so thank you again so much. And the way that you and I met was through the University of Ottawa. Uh, we were in uh, Rebecca's class together initially, which started our research journeys together and just, you know, that higher education journeys together too, which was phenomenal. I just always remembered your calming aura. Like you're just always so calm and so kind, just so kind. And yeah, so I very much appreciate uh, getting to know you in, in this capacity and, you know, now within the pandemic too and, you yes. know, just with all of it. So it's been really lovely. So, yes. And, and how about you tell the viewers about yourself? So what, what are you up to? What's your life? What's making you happy right now? Well, so I got into educational research when I started off as a teacher and I went abroad and taught for four years. And what really got me passionate about education was the curriculum aspect and how um, curriculum is always constantly changing from time to time, depending on where it is you're located, what it is that students need, and especially um, the change in the era that we're moving in. Like, for instance, we went from an industrial era to now like the technological area. And it's so fascinating to see like how education has changed from decade to decade and that's mm -hmm. what got me really interested in curriculum studies um, so that's what led me to my path in joining the University of Ottawa and pursuing my master's of education and that's where of course I met you and um, in our introductory to research methodology class we were learning about the different methodologies and that's where I saw you and we both pursued our masters and it was a really great journey. That's wonderful. And is there anything that you're really finding through like the articles that you have been met with? Has there been anything that has really struck out to you within this journey that you're continuing? Mm -hmm. So originally when I was taking the master's program, I didn't know what area I wanted to focus on. 
but I really liked like the policy development aspect and the curriculum studies aspect. So I got more into reading about different curriculum scholars, like the works of Ted Aoki, and looking at uh, settler colonialism in that sense, and how um, curriculum is really impacted about the history of Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what got me into the research aspect. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for being able to share your journey. And I think that really does connect in a beautiful way our conversation about uh, what we will be talking about today too, which is something that I know that you are very practiced with and you're very educated with. So I'm very excited to hear from you. So with that, uh, the article that we will be reviewing today is by Anna Barrasso and Chandra Mohan. It's a 2015 document and it's talking about yoga in the management of anxiety among students. And the context of this study is also located within India. However, there's a lot of connections that we can also make uh, towards, uh, say, Canada's system and also for the United States. There's there's various connections inside these capacities. So uh, would you mind sharing what this article is all about? Yeah, definitely. So the article looks at Uh, looking at groups of students between the ages of 15 and 18, so mostly secondary students, and how um, their anxiety levels would be affected if yoga was used as an intervention. Um, So the study looked at a control group where yoga was not used, uh, whereas another study looked at an intervention group, which is the experimental group where yoga was used as an intervention to see if anxiety was reduced. Um, So the study really looked at using the state trait anxiety inventory, which is like a test students take to um, measure their level of anxiety. So it's a four point scale that is measured and assesses anxiety and depression among people. And the findings were conclusive to show that in comparison with the control group, the experimental group who participated in yoga intervention programs showed a significant decrease in anxiety. So that was like the major findings. And that's wonderful to hear too, because that's what we want to hear from our students as well, is that decrease of stress and being able to be more mindful in in their own capacities within those ways. So it's really good that that was a key finding from the article. Yeah, so what, uh, I know you read it as well. So what did you find interesting from the article? Whenever I read articles, I always find it so interesting when the authors decide to uh, look at genderized groups when assessing uh, their findings. And for me, I, I always am just so curious onto why gender has such a major impact potentially uh, within findings. And, and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes I feel like that there's not necessarily a need for it. And this uh, this article uh, uh, is connecting in that way where I don't think the need was necessarily there for, for it to really be seen because I think what the finding overall was that it decreases stress and actually does decrease stress as the, as the article says uh, for girls more than uh, boys. But with that in mind too, it still does decrease stress for boys as well. So I think in that case, um, it really does centralize the notion that this can be something that can be used across the board. And that's what we really want for for folks to really utilize and to really see and to really connect with. Uh, Because when you put that barrier of gender, it takes the impact away. So that was just a, that was a critique, I think. But overall, I think in, in the way that yoga works and how it's connected to your well-being i think in that way it's so core to the self-experience to the self-understanding and how it could potentially develop self-confidence too because you're really knowing who you are deep down inside and it's that mindfulness process too so i think that's so impactful so that's at least what i found to be really really interesting really beautiful but how about yourself what did you think So I found that through most of the studies that I've read on yoga and the impact that yoga can have on anxiety and students learning and of course health and wellness is that usually most of these studies take like a mixed methodology approach which is using both a quantitative and a qualitative um, approach to looking at like how the effects of yoga has on these students but this study really took a purely quantitative approach which was a shock um, that like because most studies like stress and anxiety are very highly vague concepts 
in and of itself and there are various forms of anxiety and students response can be very biased so therefore i feel like there's still some limitations to this study however the study does align with the vast amount of other research in the field that does show that there's a strong correlation in the positive effects that yoga can produce absolutely no it's wonderful it's good that you also had that critical mind aspect with that i think that's really important for researchers to carry also just graduate students but also everybody reading anything i think it's just really important for everyone to always be in that critical mode to really understand like what you are reading if it makes sense and if it connects to other potential findings that you've also have seen throughout your your lives right so that's no, really wonderful and i think with the context of the study too it's also really important to understand yoga because i know that yoga also has a lot of cultural connections So with that too would you mind uh from your perspective and also from your practices would you feel comfortable to share what is yoga what's it all about yeah. <laughs> Definitely well yoga is a very broad concept and it originates from like ancient India and the world the word itself literally translates into union so it's from the Sanskrit language and yoga is a really a, more of a holistic practice that includes many forms of like mental physical and spiritual practices so like unlike what we think of it here in the west where we see yoga as a form of like exercise and it's mostly one aspect of yoga that is focused on which is asanas which are like different postures that's what we really see in the west whereas in india you see that yoga is practiced in more of a holistic way where you have the mental aspect of it is like more of like meditation and breathing which is called like breathing practices are called pranayama so that's one form of yoga as well and another form of yoga is meditation which is dhyana yoga so it's really about concentration and focusing in on the mind and calming the body down um so there's many different forms of yoga and the practices um include various forms like concentration looking at fire or looking at how the body can rest in a state um where you're not focused on anything else but other than your breathing. Mm. So, yeah, I would and I would say that yoga is very broad in its of itself in a sense. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I think that's really important to really understand I think and I think that's why I originally asked that too is because even you and I were having a discussion of the different contexts of yoga and how it's been reflected in various ways in different cultures now and different modes of life uh physical activities even so it's really good to understand where it comes from and how it's now becoming adapted but when folks are adapting it it's then really important to to acknowledge uh where it did originally come from right so it's it's really key it's really important so thank you thank you so much so have you practiced yoga and if like so like in what way i have i have yeah. um of course it's through the the um, you know the western eye star practice so it is through the more of the activity um i remember coming finding it actually within my high school experience originally and it was my senior year i was feeling very stressed uh very overwhelmed uh because i did have diplomas and at that point in the province of alberta your diplomas was worth 50% of your final grade it was intense um high stress high stress so it's like let's alleviate the stress let's find something um so then when i uh started to think back on it I recognized that there was a free program uh every Tuesday or Thursday, I believe it was during your lunch hour and we were able to practice yoga in this room upstairs that was never used. I think it was maybe the drama room and we were just there with a with a yoga practitioner who guided us and who, you know, supported our well-being in that way. So then after high school, I've on and off on and off had a relationship with it and it wasn't until a recent not so recent anymore but it was uh it was a breakup uh that I just went through and and I found myself needing to connect again with myself and I remember the joy yoga did bring me when I did it in high school so then I reconnected to that again 
And I just felt so emotionally at peace. Like even during my practice, I cried. I don't know why I cried, but I cried and I let it all out. So I thought that was good. That was healing. That's what I needed. And I felt very supported um, as well. So it was really, it was really good. And the yoga that I did do uh, at that point of the breakup, it was uh, hot yoga. So it was even more intense. And I think that's what really allowed me to energetically, like really, you know, get it all out, I think, in that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. But how about yourself? Yes, very similar experience. Yeah, so yoga became a really big part of my life, like after my father passed away a few years back. And it was a practice that I started to take up after reading and learning about like the great healing practices and the healing properties that yoga has, as he explained. And it's really about like the mind, body and soul, like reconnecting. And like after you experience like a traumatic experience in life or something, like I feel like yoga is such a natural and holistic way of healing the body. And I found that it was a calling for me and I had a chance to even travel to India to pursue my yoga teacher training course because I just like loved taking classes and like I want to be able to like pass on this knowledge to other people I'm like what better place to go to than the birthplace of India so I headed off to uh, a city called Rishikesh which is like the actual birthplace of yoga and it's filled with hundreds and hundreds of yoga ashrams and teacher training programs and um, these places and these schools that teach a lot of westerners and a lot of people that just come from all over the world like you have people from China Australia I had a friend from Chechnya that I met there, from Belgium, from the UK, like just people from all over the world who want to come to this place and just learn about yoga. And we learned yoga from 5.30 in the morning, which we had to wake up and all the way to like 8 p.m. at night. And it was incredible. So we'd start with like a meditation class in the morning. Then we do like an hour and a half of like Hatha yoga, which is like the postures. Then we would do... um, different forms of like adjusting your spine and like formation of different asanas so that was like another class and it was just cool like we did breathing which is pranayama classes and it was just an amazing experience overall and I found that um, it allowed me to have like my sort of my own version of my own Julia Roberts's Eat, Pray, Love moment. So, really <laughs> so if you ever watched Eat, Pray, Love, it was awesome. <laughs> so she also went to India and did some yoga there too. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, and I felt that not only did it help me like realize a lot of my own emotional tensions and grief that allowed me to heal in a spiritual way, it also led me on a more healthy path, like in which I lost a lot of excess weight and allowed me to concentrate better and overall my overall health and well-being I felt like drastically increased thanks to yoga yeah. wow thank you thank you for just sharing yeah. that beauty sure. of yeah. oh yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> anytime <laughs> but it's so wonderful to hear your journey with it too and how you did take up that teacher training that practitioner training that you know, encompasses, I think, your journey as well as an educator yourself, right? So that's why I think, you know, this conversation, this article, and the conversations that I hope are going to continue after it as well can really allow educators to be mindful and to think about, uh, to think about the ability for folks to maybe use this within educational settings because if it has so much benefits and it has so much opportunities, then this must be something that we should be really considering inside our lives and also for our students, for youth, because this does start young and kids, you should be thinking about these aspects to be able to understand their emotions and to feel comfortable to meet their emotions where they're at in order to then progress uh, in the future. And that's what's key. That's what we want. So thank you again for being able to share your journey. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And I also find too that it is through pain. It is through those difficult situations where we learn the most about ourselves. So for that to be your healing journey, that's pretty substantial and that's really beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful. So I guess that connects us to our next question here. Wonderful. So now with this understanding of yoga, knowing that this is where we're both at in meeting yoga, 
and how it does and how it did culturally start in India. We see yoga within various forms of cultures, adaptations, modifications, different understandings of it. So with all of this in mind, would you feel comfortable connecting yoga within your own culture? Like, is there any examples that you feel like that yoga is actually connected to you in some way? Yeah, I feel like um, a lot of the people misconceptualize yoga as being like a form and connected to like Buddhism or Hinduism. So being a practicing Hindu myself, yoga is part of our teachings. So it is actually connected to my culture. But I feel like anyone can take it on. And uh, even in schools that I've taught at, like in the Catholic school, I think they're very hesitant about labeling uh, that we're doing yoga. So they rebrand it as Christian meditation. But mm. even in that sense, I don't feel like I was offended by that. Like, I know there's a lot of practices, especially indigenous practices that you can speak for that if it was to be copied, it would be taken in the wrong sense as uh, demoralizing or degrading that culture. But I don't think with yoga, it has that same connection because yoga can be seen throughout various cultures and being practiced in various forms. Like there's meditation such as like Zen meditation in, in Japan and there's different forms of meditations that are seen in like African cultures and indigenous cultures. So I feel like it's very versatile in that sense. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like that overall yoga is a way for like of life in itself. And whereas the others, like in our students, we can use it as a tool to aid in our teaching mm. and allowing for students to partake in yogic practices such as meditation and leaving aside the cultural connections it may have to like Hinduism and Buddhism. And we have to separate it from that religious connotation that may exist and just practice it as a form of a secular exercise or sport. Like it's not like you see soccer is only fit in Europe so no we're not playing that in Canada we're only going to do hockey and lacrosse right so I think it's just accepting of different cultures and different practices that really have that health benefit and how we can take that utilize it in our classrooms and even if it's in a Catholic school where you have to rebrand it because some parents are very culturally sensitive about that and you have to rebrand it as Christian meditation go for it that's okay as long as you're you're using that to benefit the students at the end of the day. Mm. That's perfect. And that's beautiful. And I think that's such a wonderful means to connect with and to acknowledge it in those ways as well. So with that, I guess, uh, and I know that you also connected it uh, in a way to the way that other folks might be able to take it up within their own personal ways. Like I remember even in one classroom facilitation, I remember I was teaching grade eight. This was last year. I was teaching grade eight and the kids all came back from lunch recess. They're all very high energy, but not to the point of like, I don't mind the ruckus because usually I'm at that point. But the thing that I had to teach that day was going to be on a test. So they actually had to focus. (laughs) So I did have to uh, almost... calm the energies down right and but in a very positive way rather than telling them to oh, be quiet i don't need this right now like yeah like i'm not that teacher so, <laughs> so what, I, what i ended up doing was that i shut off the light inside my classroom and i got all my students to put their heads down on their desks inside their arm close their eyes and to just focus on their breathing for five minutes so I took that time, I guided them through it. I was very lucky that I've already had previous experiences through my yoga practice too, to be able to know how to then facilitate that exercise. So five minutes later, the kids were ready to go. They were focused. And that was probably one of the best behaved classes I think I've ever been a part of teaching uh, with them. And I appreciated the fact that they trusted me enough to go through that practice with me as well. So I think that's also key with the relationship building in that way. So, And I want to just follow up and ask, like, being from a METI background, do you Mm -hmm. see meditative practices that are similar in your cultures? And if so, like, can you give us some examples that you might see in indigenous cultures? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, One of the biggest teachings I think I've ever received was the teaching of the medicine wheel. Um, with the medicine wheel, it is a uh, it's a wheel circle. You got four quadrants. 
Um, each quadrant represents something within you. And I think it's something that is also reflected within uh, meditative practices and also within yoga, where you have that connective practice of it, where you have the mental, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. So that's the wheel in itself, and that's what it's all talking about. And it's that connection, that interconnection of everything. So I think with that teaching, it really does allow us to bring balance to ourselves. And that's key with the wheel. It allows us to bring balance to who we are, how we want to go about the world, but also with our interactions and also with our experiences. So if one quadrant of the wheel is out of whack, you're not going to find balance. You're not, it's going to be very difficult for you to find balance. So that's why I think that yoga supports balance because it's needing literally every single quadrant of that wheel, which is exactly. unbelievable. So I think in that way, that cultural way, it can be connected in that capacity. With this teaching though too, this is from my personal teachings. Not all Métis people actually consider the wheel as a part of our culture. But for me, for my area, for where I am, that was a key teaching for me, at least in, in this in this capacity and in, in my knowledge. So yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love to see like the interconnections of different cultures and how much overlap there is so like that we share between different cultures around the world and how like this mind, body, soul and like how spirituality is like within every single culture that you can see. It's unbelievable. And I think that allows us again with the wheel too, it allows us to see how we're also all so interconnected yes. because that's also represented inside the wheel as well. And it, it actually talks about each of the different colors, meaning the different um, ethnicities, the different folks within the world around us too. And I think that's beautiful because it allows us to really be connected to one another, which is beautiful because that's also within the practice of yoga, at least for my that's teachings right. as well. And that's exactly what it is. It's a union, right? Yoga means union. <laughs> oh, oh, see, like this is, yeah, this is wonderful with it. <laughs> and it's true. Yes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And I saw a question that someone actually asked here on our chat. Um, and it's actually yeah. a really great question. How do you deal with depression or any sort of like mental illnesses potentially uh, within your students? What are some things that you'd like to do to uh, support their needs? Exactly. Like I think that's where we have to take into consideration like our individual students' needs and making sure that the lived experiences of each of our students are heard because our students are really coming from various backgrounds, especially being in such a diverse country like Canada. And you have students that have escaped war, who have come here as refugees, who have come here as immigrants because their parents had to like uproot themselves from their country to another country. And it's really about listening to their needs and their traumas and helping them to heal from those traumas per se. Um, in cases of depression, yoga is, have shown positive impacts of like alleviating pains of depression and getting through it. Um, so even like, I would say just doing 30 minutes of like meditation with your students every day before they go back home is a great way to help with that. Um, doing morning yoga, like asanas in your gym classes would be a great way to deal with that. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions? I think listening is key with students too, because they don't always feel like that they're being heard. Um, so I think in regards to dealing with that aspect, it's really important for a teacher to get to know their students, yes. I think, and knowing what they need as well. Um, sorry, I'm drawing from personal experience again, but I guess I'm not really sorry about it. I'm really happy to share about it. Um, so what I ended up doing was asking my students to uh, share how they want to be interacted with in regards to feedback. Yes. Um, I got to learn so much about my students through that process of even asking that question. It was through like paper form. It was when I first started teaching with them. And I asked them to fill out this form and tell me how you want me to interact with you in order for me to better support you. So within that process, like I got to know my students 
so well because of it. And they felt very, they felt very able to be able to then connect with me about anything that was going on personal for them. And if it was something that I felt like I couldn't necessarily support them with, I would ensure that they felt safe enough to maybe connect with the counselor at the school as well. And I was like a direct liaison for that as well. Um, and mind you, this is grade eight. So they're 13, 14 years old, give or take. And they're already having a good awareness of who they are in some ways. I think that was also really important to you. So they're self-recognizing uh, that their emotions. And I feel like during that age, like you're going through puberty, like you got like, a lot going on for you. Like you're stressed, like, ugh, <laughs> too much. Well, it's really good to check in with your students. And I think that's what really supports them in the end uh, for really having those conversations potentially about uh, depression. So it's, yeah, at least that's, that's a consideration I would do is just really get to know your students and really know what they want from you as well. That's right. It's always finding that balance between how much to intervene and then also being able to go back a bit and give them that space and that time to heal and then to go back like a, as a, like a constant check-in. Mm-hmm. It's always finding that right balance. Absolutely. See, the balance. Balance always comes in. <laughs> balance. <laughs> Connection. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you, uh, viewer, uh, that asked that question. I think that's really phenomenal. Yeah, great question. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, continue to ask us questions, too, if there's anything that is on yeah. your mind. Yeah. Or... Great. Yeah. We yeah. can answer any questions. <laughs> We love it. (laughs) (laughs) Like pertaining to the subject matter. (laughs) Yoga. Meditation. Mindfulness. (laughs) Culture. (laughs) That's perfect. So then I guess in in that way, and thank you for that segue for that question too, um, how can we adapt concepts and teachings of yoga within uh, the educational environment. So I know that you also gave us some examples too. Is there anything else that you think is really important for educators to also consider? I think it's really important for educators to constantly read up on different studies that has proven to show improvements of how um, they can help their students deal with different mental pressures that they might be stemming from either from home or from the environment or like just culturally overall. Like I know um, different communities always struggle with different pressures from parents. Like in our community, for example, parents are always constantly wanting students to achieve very high grades. And for all students, it's not possible. At the end of the day, grades are not the be all end all. Like, and that might be because parents really want their child to go off to university and just become like a doctor, an engineer, an a lawyer or something, but that's not like every student's career path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not all students are cut out to go to university. And that doesn't mean like you're a failure or anything. It just means yeah. you're set off for another career path and you can go off to like a trade school or and become like a great carpenter or like, like any other form of career that doesn't involve necessarily going to university. And I think with that, teachers need to support that in a sense of allowing for students to know that they have that support in place and if it's through different forms of teaching like allowing for students who are have an athletic ability to pursue well in like gym classes like you should constantly support your students to Mm -hmm. pursue that or if they're like really good at programming and they're not really good at other subjects like you should support that and like you shouldn't be like putting them down just because they're not doing well in other subjects right and there's also that key notion that there's multiple intelligences too like if you're meeting your kids uh, and you're actually you know enacting differentiation differentiation folks uh, who are new to that term is a term we like to use as educators to ensure that every single child inside your classroom is being met with educational needs that they need uh, to learn so that could be like music that could be physical uh, connections that could be visual uh, support. So if kids learn through these ways, and if a teacher is able to then use these ideas uh, for their instruction, that really helps them learn too. So that's also really key with uh, multiple intelligences. But if that's 
being met too, then there is that question like, okay, well, what do you actually want for your own life? Like, what is it that you're very passionate about? And what a teacher, a good one at least, is there to support and uplift their kids in whatever way that that kid wants to be guided, right? right. So it could be the trades. It could be um, each of the areas that you also suggested too. It just also, again, takes a really good educator to really keep that in mind That's right. to for that journey. So it's the continuous like learning for teachers in itself and being a lifelong learner that allows like teachers to continuously build their own toolbox so that they can use those tools to help each of their students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think with this question too, I think within the educational environment, I don't think it's necessarily specific to necessarily the classroom. But I think it could also connect to how teachers or administration deal with consequences as well. And, you know, that like uh, uh, detention piece, if kids are acting out, um, kids tend to be acting out because they are experiencing a lot of negative emotions inside and they need to be able to filter it to go into something that could actually be of use to them. So I'm an advocate, at least, of being able to support, you know, mindfulness and meditative practices rather than consequences. So detention, use that detention time then for yoga. Use that detention time for mindfulness. Like, use it so it's actually restorative uh, to that child because that's actually what they need is that Mm -hmm. support, that direct support from someone who cares about them. And there's so many studies in New York alone, like Queens, New York specifically, that actually suggest that when you are able to connect meditation, yoga, into various ways inside the school, like your kids are going to actually be more more focused, more determined, almost to complete their work. They're going to act out less because they actually have a way to filter their emotions which is through yoga and through that, you know, meditative practices or whatever that looks like in their capacities. And it really helps them. So it's like, this is a no brainer almost. There's so much studies and research that supports this. So yeah, I'm just, yeah, I really think educators should be thinking about how they're integrating meditative practices within their classroom. And also with the way that they treat their students too then after, if, if that is a case of acting out, what can actually benefit that student rather than I take time away from you, you think about what you did, that's not going to help them in the end. That's not going to actually develop them to get to that next point inside their processes. Yes. That's such an amazing idea. Yeah, I think all detention time should be like transformed into, okay, you're doing meditation time now. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) I want that to happen. (laughs) But you also have to think about it. Do they take it as a form of a punishment? Like if Mm. you're going to detention, but then do they make a negative association within meditation? Or do you make it so that you reformat the whole concept of detention? You know, okay, this is not detention, but this is a time for you to calm yourself down. This is a time for you to reflect and but this doesn't equate to like a negative experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's key is the rebranding of detention. It shouldn't be called detention. Instead it should be uh, mindfulness or, you know, reflection time or, you know, something that's actually uh, restorative, I think. Exactly. And that supports them in that way. But yeah, that's key. The rebranding of detention to be really important in, in order for this to potentially be a thing like yes. that could <laughs> that would be key that'd be really important yeah oh wonderful all right well i guess with that with that too there's uh, another question that we have here is how can we support uh, yoga or meditative practices for students experiencing stress- stressful situations so it's kind of that question as well that uh connects with depression um yeah but maybe more, you know, educationally based? Like, who knows? Like, yeah. how, how would you answer this question? Yeah. Well, yeah, just thinking, like, in this day and age and this constant, like, 
stimuli and overstimulation of the brain that like due to technology our students are constantly having like they're always on their phone or like they're always on the computer and stuff like that or watching TV and like we really need to take that time to set aside and to choose a time and place to just sit down and reflect and so i believe mm-hmm. that setting aside just 20 to 30 minutes within the classroom like early in the morning is an ideal and bringing in various like yoga practices like doing asanas which are like various postures that help to improve their concentration and balance that will help them like succeed throughout the rest of the day like it'll just set the mood like for the rest of the day for them and also like in the afternoon before sending them back home like a quick guided meditation will help calm them down like before heading home and or like engaging in like their evening activities like during the pandemic like i would send my students these guided meditation videos and like parents provided me with such great feedback like saying that they saw like the child being more calm at home like after doing the guided meditation so like it made me really happy and like i would send them like constant videos that like i would upload with their worksheets and stuff and i i like i think like that like due to like more stressful situations that we're in like due to the pandemic of course um many family members had to like work from home and at the same time become caregivers for this child mm-hmm. so it's like they had a really hard time balancing so i would say like just taking that time out of your day to like even take your kids and do a meditation practice with them or do yoga at home would be really helpful for both child and parent in these stressful times like none of us have ever experienced a, a time in age like this where we are stuck at home where with we have to do work from home we have to take care of our child because they are they're not able to go to school like where they usually be with their friends and their teachers and so like this is a very stressful time period like in a lot of people's lives and so like the lived experiences of our students and their experiences over the last 5 months are really going to be telling like what they have to come back into the classrooms like returning in September and so as well like how do we better prepare our students like in case of a second wave does right. it right do we go back to the same situation we were in a few months ago like what are new ways of dealing with like online or distance learning that we've just taken the last 5 months to really understand itself how can we improve that like so like what would be your thoughts on that wow that's such a great response to the question and i think with my response to being able to then adapt to those learning needs i think basically is is what you're you're getting at is it's so interesting cuz i have always believed instead of bringing our kids back to the classroom i think more resource resources should actually be put towards technology and towards the adaptation of of learning for our for our students and ensuring that they're all actually feeling supported in the process rather than our cases to go up again which it will as we can yes, see with exactly. uh uh various places uh, around the world and that's actually when that's happening i'm sure that's going to be replicated in canada unfortunately so with that then the adaptation then would need to be perhaps It's good that you shared resources cuz that's actually what I would have done too in that situation is sharing those meditative resources but also for the whole family to be a part of in that process too because I'm sure the parents are stressed, guardians are stressed, like everyone's stressed. So it's really important for for that whole family dynamic or you know guardianship or or whomever is inside your household really does feel supported, I think. And during this time too like there's so much uncertainty and that in itself causes anxiety. So it's hard and it's really hard to deal with it. So I think with being able to meet yourself where you're at is also really key. So I think resources like, you know, like practicing yoga, like meditation is really useful, but what is also very useful for them too is to also talk about how they're feeling and being able to feel comfortable enough to share how they're feeling whether that be with a teacher a wonderful teacher like yourself or whether that be with you know guardians their parents uh, anyone that they feel very trustful relationship with their friends peers um that's important too and i think it's sometimes very forgettable cuz that's like again a no brainer like of course we need to talk about this we need to share how we're feeling so 
I've been able to talk about the experiences that I think uh, kids are facing and being uh, emotionally um, emotionally comfortable to also share their experiences too. So I think that's key. <laughs> Wonderful. And that brings us to our last question. Um, so how can we enact like yoga, meditation, these forms of reflective practices uh, within our own lives, especially what is going on in terms of, you know, COVID-19, uh, but also the social justice movements that are also occurring too at the exact same time. Uh, being Black Lives Matter and uh, the enactment of the TRC. So what are some ideas that you are uh, thinking about for it? Yeah, I feel like with many of like the protests that are going on, like for social justice movements and the BLM movement, like the ongoing protests can be mentally draining, especially mm -hmm. on the protesters themselves. And um, like even for the protests, again, like I know with against the pipelines going through the indigenous lands. I remember like seeing on the news like how people are like really worked up and like violence and like how violent these protests really get. Uh, and it's really about taking a step back and making sure that like you don't get into a mindset where you're protesting actively for what you believe in, but you turn it into something that's violent. And so mm. being able to calm yourself down using meditation or yoga to understand like your own mental state and really being able to calm yourself down and advocate and clearly speak to what you are trying to resolve or get your message across will only be receptive by all those other people if you do it like in a calm, professional manner and right. not allowing for your temper to get over or to, like, to, to lose self-control and to, right. to demolish cities and cars and whatnot. That's what right. we see happening in a lot of these protests. So I think yoga and meditation definitely would help each individual themselves mm -hmm. just reflect and calm themselves down right. before they even go off. Also in a sense that it also helps to refuel like our mental energy and our mental health in a per se because like going and attending these advocacy groups and protests can be really mentally draining on yourself as well. Right, absolutely. And I think it's also key for like um, police forces too to have that check and balance as well uh, for themselves to also be you know reflective of the practices they're also doing too and being able to check oneself and you know make better choices for their district so i think that's also key with it too but again i think it's it's more of a notion of education i think in, in that case which is um a whole other conversation in itself which is fabulous and important and work that does need to continue to be ongoing um but i think in regards to this conversation for the protesters themselves as i am friends with a couple of folks um they may feel burnout and it's emotionally exhaustive uh to always be talking about these notions because a lot of folks, they don't really know where to start within this process of actually understanding, um, I guess, understanding like oppression, racism, um, various notions in this way. So it's really important for the folks who are the knowledge sharers are really ensuring that they're keeping track of themselves and also being able to say no when they need to as well, because that's also really important. And that's good to do. It's good to say no. It's okay to say no. Um, but as long as you're feeling rejuvenated and good in that way. So if that's the case, I think meditation and I think yoga could actually really support this mindfulness and really support these ideas um, that really make you feel more at ease, I think. And being able to feel at ease with yourself allows you to feel at ease with the world a little bit around you, at least in some way. Um, but I'm sure that's a way that could actually support healing and support the journeys to then continue if that is something that is um, is going to happen as well. So, yes, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's always about like thinking, being mindful of your own energy and your own thought process and knowing when you're feeling that fatigue and when you do feel that fatigue like understanding that going and doing these yogi practices will actually refuel that and refuel your mind refuel your body and like rejuvenate you in that mm -hmm. absolutely i completely agree it's supposed to be something that is supposed to fill you with good energy right 
That's to then to then move forward as well. So it's yeah, it's absolutely. key. I think meditation. I think yoga is key to a lot of uh, beautiful journeys, solutions. And do you have any closing thoughts and that you'd like to share with folks? I would just definitely say that if you haven't tried yoga and it's something new, definitely go check it out. It's a great opportunity to learn online at home, especially if you're sitting in front of your computer all day. Just go to a YouTube video, type in yoga classes or meditation practice, or do a guided meditation. They're mm. amazing. And you just sit there with your eyes closed, just listening to a beautiful person's voice, like direct you and how to breathe, and just see and feel how you feel after that session. And yeah. I think that you'll be really impressed. Do you have any specific recommendations for guided meditation of YouTube channels? It's a great question. Um, Thank you, Megan. Megan's my there. sister, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Not per se, really, um, YouTube channels, but two great apps. Calm is mm -hmm. one, and the other one, uh, it's, um, it's coming to me, but mindful i think it's called mindfulness so calm and mindfulness we check them out they have really great uh guided meditations that's yeah, wonderful both on the app store yeah wonderful and even if you just google on youtube yes. too literally mindfulness youtube yes. i got so many like yeah you'll like, get so many oh, yeah. so many <laughs> so it's really good to see <laughs> The resources are there, and the beautiful thing about it too, it's all free. Calm all is free. one app that I have on my phone, and I've used it for the past three years, and I just absolutely love it. Wonderful. Is it was it free for for that app? Uh, it it was seven days, I think it was free, and then it's about seventy dollars a year. But wow. like, there's different uh, like there's different aspects of the app. There's sleep stories which help you get to sleep, and some of the narrations are by like celebrities. So, like, if you want to, like, listen to Matthew McConaughey's voice while you sleep, there you have it, and they'll calm you down. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being able yeah. to share your resources. Yes. Thank you again thank very you, much Madeline. for being able to. Yes. Aw, I really appreciate for... it. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was a great conversation today. Absolutely. It definitely was. And um, I'm looking forward to keeping in touch with you. And definitely. I wish you well on your rest of your day and also with your journey. Thank you. You too, Madeline. Take care. Awesome. You too. Bye. You. Bye. Take care. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you for all for joining. <laughs> Bye. Bye.